2: Okay, take three. Hopefully final, final, final.
0: On the
1: Vaginic Talk. <laughs> <laughs> this is going be real interesting. Merhaba and assalamu alaikum. Welcome back to She Builds Podcast, where we share stories about women in the design and construction field, one lady at a time. Like we mentioned last week, this season we're going Lyon. All of the ladies of our second season are from all over the globe. On today's episode, we will talk about the star architect, the icon, the legend, Zaha Hadid. We'll go a little bit further into her life and talk about how Zaha is the goat, aka the greatest of all time. (laughs) I'm Jessica Rogers, trying to finish the Alicia Keys audiobook in Washington, D.C., and I'm joined by my fellow co-hosts, Lizzie Energity.
0: Hey there. I'm Lizzie Rar, and I'm reading The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo in San Francisco. Shaco Maco.
2: I'm Norgeri Rivas, listening to We Are the Weather and Cutting My Meat consumption to Save the Planet in Houston, Texas. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying, guys.
1: In Texas.
2: In
0: Texas. (laughs) (laughs) Like always, our quick disclaimer. The three of us are not historians, nor are we experts on this subject. We are just sharing stories about the information that we find about each woman. If we get our facts a little mixed up, please forgive us. Leave us a comment and we will all continue learning.
1: All right. So, ladies, I can recall when we were talking about the ladies that we wanted to feature in this season, we had mentioned Zaha on this show, but there was a little bit of hesitation.
2: Yeah, well, I thought it wasn't as exciting to talk about someone that we know so well. But then I thought about it and I really don't know about Saha that much. There's a lot about her that we don't know. Like, how did she get to be Saha Hadid?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I think the point is trying to shine light on untold stories of women, some of which we've never heard of. So... The hesitation might have just been that Zaha is probably the most well-known female architect. But I do also think it's important to look at women who did become super well-known so that we can learn more about their history and how they got where they are.
1: Exactly. I mean, there's only so much that we know about her. But I think we have to talk about her at some point because she is one of the greatest in the game. Let's start with where she was born. Zaha Mohammed Hadid was born on October 31st, 1950 in Baghdad, Iraq. In her family, education and understanding other cultures was very important. Her father, Mohammed, was a leading liberal Iraqi politician, and her mother, Wajiha, came from a wealthy Mosul family. It was actually her mother who taught her how to draw.
2: Ooh, she reminds me of Minette with her political influential family.
1: Oh, yeah. So Zaha attended a Catholic school. The school was taught by nuns, but the students were from diverse backgrounds and religions. In an interview, she mentions that the Muslims and the Jewish girls could go out and play when the other girls went to chapel.
2: That sounds like a pretty good deal. Yeah, free recess.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Reading about her life growing up, it's interesting to think of how it influenced her design in the present. Her childhood consisted of picnic trips to the ancient city of Samada which is located in southern Iraq. She was fascinated by the marshes and the arch tomes that were common in this area made out of reeds. She said in an interview that she was fascinated by the landscape and how the sand, water, reeds, birds, buildings, and people all flowed together. Zaha also claimed that her mother had excellent taste. Her mother had bought some Italian late 50s furniture, which Zaha really loved. They also had a family friend that was an architect that was designing her aunt's house. He had created a model that stayed with Zaha, and she was fascinated with all of these things, which would later attribute to her love for architecture. So when Zaha was 16, she had gone to school in Switzerland for a year and then to London. In 1968, Zaha went to college at the American University in Beirut, Lebanon, and got her bachelor's degree in mathematics. Hmm.
0: Interesting. That makes me feel like she might be more technical, which I'm sure she is. But her designs are really organic and artistic. But
2: they're also very structural, which maybe that's where her mathematics background came into play.
1: True. That is true. Well, anyway, around this time, the dictator Saddam Hussein began to rise in power in Iraq. So with Zaha's liberal papa... Needless to say, they left Iraq and Zaha moved to London and enrolled at the Architectural Association School of Architecture.
2: We keep hearing about this awesome school. Jessica, in your research, did you read anything about her experience there?
1: Yes. So from her experience, the Architectural Association School of Architecture, or the AA, had a very loose structure, meaning that the students were left to their own design projects. The way that they learned was basically by being mentored by their teachers. Does this sound familiar?
0: Yeah. In our thesis here, we chose an idea or a problem to form a project around. And then we would pick a professor who would help advise us on the project. And we got to interview various professors and then submit our top choices and eventually get assigned an advisor And then you would meet with them weekly to talk about the progress you've made and they would help direct you or give insight.
2: But Jessica, you and I did something new that actually the professor presented a central theme for the thesis and then the students who wanted to join that group and develop their projects around that idea. It was really great. Our theme was about alternative architectural futures. I developed a world where the city had become sentient and people were scared to be in the public realm. So then I presented an architectural solution to that problem. It was extremely stressful, but I had a lot of fun.
1: <laughs> Actually, Nordjari, listening to your thesis kind of relates to today. I was gonna like, say,
2: what's going to say, <laughs> right? I, <laughs> my... I know.
1: I said it then and I'll say it now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I actually really enjoyed my thesis year, despite the amount of stress and anxiety that it caused. I really liked that I had complete control of my entire project. And I also really liked my thesis advisor, onda French. So shout out to French 2D, her practice that she has based out of Boston.
2: Yes, she was my advisor, too. She was really great. And one of my favorite professors in my five years at school and her firm does really interesting work. People should
1: check it out. Yep, for sure, for sure. So our professors, you can say, had some notoriety in the academic circles. They have had some of their work published in the architectural world. But for the AA, they had world renowned architects as professors. So Zaha. Her professor was uh, Mr. Oscar Niemeyer.
0: What? Who? Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's impressive. Oscar Niemeyer is a well-known South American architect who designed most of the civic buildings in Brasilia, the capital city of Brazil. And he did the TWA Terminal at JFK in New York.
2: Yeah, his work's pretty amazing. He was also a super prolific star architect. He designed about 600 projects. That's a lot. That's so many.
1: Yeah. Zaha admired Nehemiah's fearless designs that would push the limits of shape and that would incorporate flowing forms of concrete.
2: That makes sense with the work of hers that I know now.
1: So after graduating from the AA, Zaha had joined her other professor, a Mr. Rem Koolhaas at his firm Office of Modern Architecture or OMA.
0: Dang, these are
1: big names. How long did she work at OMA? So she worked at OMA for about four years, but there was a little overlap because in 1980, Zaha opened her own practice. And she also taught at the AA School of Architecture. Most of her designs were conceptual, and her first building was actually built in 1994, the Vitre Fire Station in Germany.
2: Ooh, yes, that's the one that reminds me of, like, a paper crane. It looks like it's about to take flight. It's a nice metaphor
1: that this was the project that made her soar. This project essentially put her on the map. She had received such high praise, but in a shocking turn of events, she almost wanted to quit architecture shortly after in 1995. Shu? Leish? Okay, so what had happened was that in 1995... Zaha had designed an ultra-modern opera house on the Cardiff Bay in the United Kingdom. She had won the design competition, but the design was rejected by the Millennium Commission. They said it was flawed by uncertainties. Mm,
0: Okay, so many thoughts. First off, then why did they choose her project? Second off, what were the uncertainties? And lastly, is this another situation where competitions are just messed up? (laughs) Yeah, what Lizzie
2: said. Also, WTF.
1: Okay, so the truth was that the politics in Cardiff Bay were super conservative and stuck in the 1970s aesthetic. They protested her designs. Zaha's proposal was too revolutionary for the city fathers, even though critics applaud Zaha for her design. Too revolutionary for the city fathers?
2: What was it, a vagina? (laughs) Because we know she faced that whole controversy with another building. That's very true.
1: I mean, no, it just didn't have columns, flying buttresses, and Greek statues.
2: Oh, what? What is
0: this, a chapter (laughs) of the fountainhead? (laughs) Wait, I'm still confused. Like, who was jurying this competition and chose the project? Like, is yeah. it not the city council, the people in the community? I'm like, I'm just still very confused as to why it was chosen if all these people are such stick in the muds.
1: Yeah. As I dug deeper, there's so much more. If you ask Zaha, she would tell you that she felt like they didn't like her because of her ethnic background and gender. And in papers and on the radio, they just didn't like that she was a foreigner. tak. <laughs> So the jurors that were part of the music and design community really liked the design. And that's why she had won. But well, okay, let me read you this quote from Jonathan Glancy, who wrote in The Guardian that talks about the situation. He says, oh, yes, the Cardiff Bay Opera House. In 1994, Hadid had designed a magical theater for the Welsh coast. It would have become the most radical and compelling building in Britain. But an alliance of narrow-minded politicians, peevish commentators, and asserted dullards holding the lottery purse strings ensured it was never built. Mm.
0: I see. So it's the people who are going to pay for it that got all up in arms. Mm. Ugh. It's just so frustrating. And honestly, their loss. I mean, I bet it would have brought tourism and it would have become an iconic building of the city that people would know. Homel <laughs>
1: Yes. Zaha took this really hard. She had told the London Evening Standard, it was such a depressing time. I didn't look very depressed, but it was very dire. I made the conscious decision not to stop, but it could have gone the other way. Yo, homegirl was thinking about becoming a painter or a teacher.
0: Could you imagine a world with no Zaha? Le, 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 le. Mm Mm-mm. That's wild to think that she didn't want to keep going. Although... I mean, I kind of understand it would be really tough to feel like they were totally rejecting her, especially early in her career. But I'm glad that she powered through. Yeah. Architecture
2: can be such a vulnerable profession because when we design, we're putting pieces of ourselves out there. And it's really hard when people tear it apart. So we have to develop like this really thick skin. But it's not easy. There's a lot of blood, sweat and tears that shed along the way. Yeah.
1: I also forgot to mention, but this announcement was made just three days before Christmas. Ooh, happy holidays. Yeah. Well, Zaha is Zaha, right? So she kept going and kept doing competitions, which led her to win the design of the Rosenthal Center for Contemporary Arts in Cincinnati.
2: That building is such an inspiration. It's exactly the type of building we would have done in studio, in architecture school, but she did it in real life. It's these series of planes that appear to be floating and the way the light shines through the facade. It tells such a wonderful story. It fits the context of the buildings around it and it has its own presence at the same time. It's wonderful. (laughs) At first, it doesn't look like the typical Saha project that would come into mind today. But if you look at it closely, it has strong traces of sahness, With the way volumes play with each other, blades cutting through space and how people move inside, this is very much my style of what I think is a gorgeous project.
1: (laughs) I really like it too. You can tell that with this project, she was starting to define her signature style, you know? But get this. By winning this design... Zaha beat Daniel Libeskind and Bernard Tschumi. Whoa, that's
2: kind of cool. <laughs> Those are two very famous architects.
1: But
0: then again, so is Zaha. True, but was she that famous then? Well,
1: maybe not as famous as Daniel Libeskind and Bernard Tschumi. Right, but by designing this museum, this was this project was Zaha's first commission in the United States. And, and, this museum was the first American museum designed by a woman.
0: What? That's, that's super awesome. But I'm also blown away and sad that this is the first museum
1: designed by a woman. What year was this? I was thinking the exact same thing, Lizzie. Yeah, Cezanne won this project in 1998.
2: Are you kidding me?
1: No. Dude.
2: We were alive during that time. Google, Google existed before a woman designed an American museum. I need to let that sink in because I, I just can't believe it. La la,
0: mishadra adra
1: Yep. While we were alive, Zaha was kicking ass and taking names. My favorite quote about the project comes from the New York Times when they called the museum the most important American building to be completed since the Cold War. Wow,
0: that
2: is some high praise. And to think that she was not even an American, right?
1: Yep, yep, yella. So that project was completed in 2003. Do you guys remember some of her other high-profile projects?
0: I know the London Aquatic Center for the London Olympics in 2012 and the Guangzhou Opera House in China. Oh,
2: yeah. What about her museum, the one we saw in Italy, the Maxi?
1: Oh, yeah. Yes, the Maxi Contemporary Museum in Rome. That had to be one of my highlights from when we studied abroad. Witnessing Zaha greatness in person, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really liked that building and getting to walk through it.
2: OMG, we could do an entire episode on this building. <laughs> it's so attractive curves for days circulation on display how the stairs are so monumental and exposed as these black elements in the surrounding white interiors the different levels and each experience they create it's just truly saha truly amazing (laughs) i remember it made it into my sketchbook in italy i'll have to show you guys Mm. And I like the rendering for the Al Wakrah Stadium that some people call the vagina building. First of all, it doesn't even look like a vagina that much.
1: What? Mm.
2: Yeah. Second mm. of all, whatever. With all the phallic buildings that we have and no one even bats an <laughs> eyelash at, so what if there's one building that barely resembles a vagina if you squint your eyes?
0: <laughs> okay, first off, I agree with you about the Ratio of phallic to vaginal buildings out there in the world. But <laughs> mm-hmm. I have to disagree. You don't think it looks like a vagina? Not that much. Uh, whatever. I feel like squinting your eyes is a little bit extreme there. Like, I feel like it's kind of... <laughs> okay, we can have artistic differences. <laughs> yeah, that's fair, you know.
1: But something to note about Zaha's work, you know. Whether believe al Rakra looks like a vagina or not. They all had a consistent theme or a certain aesthetic. Her projects just exuded effortless form. They appeared to morph and change shape as one moves through space. And, you know, Zaha was known as the lady or the queen of the curves. Mm -hmm.
0: This was
2: also around the time that computer aided design was becoming more popular.
0: Right. And this allowed architects and engineers to become more daring in their designs, you could say. It definitely attributed to her more futuristic design approach.
1: Yes. So with all of her awesomeness and greatness, on May 31st, 2004, Zaha was awarded one of architecture's prestigious awards, the Pritzker Award. She was the first woman to win this prize. And at the age of 54, she was the youngest.
2: Naughty! <laughs> <My brook>. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> Nutty how not long ago that was, but I'm so glad her impressive body of work was recognized.
1: And you know what? This wasn't the only award that she received.
0: Yeah, she was awarded the Royal Institute of British Architects Sterling Prize for Excellence in Architecture in 2010 and 2011.
2: Besides her awards, she also taught in the States. She taught at the Harvard GSD, Yale Columbia University in New York City, Ohio State. She taught all around the world.
1: Yeah. And in 2012, Zaha was even appointed Dame Commander of the Order of the British Empire for services to architecture.
0: Oh, like Jane Drew. Oh, Mm -hmm. so we're supposed to be calling her Dame Zaha Hadid. Ah,
1: yep. Dame Zaha. So. On March 31st, 2016, at the age of 65, Zaha passed away. Do you guys remember your thoughts from when she passed?
2: Yeah, total shock and sadness. She was such an inspiration to us.
0: Yeah, I remember it felt really surreal. And I was really just shocked at how young
1: she was. Mm Hmm. Oh, yeah. I'm not gonna lie. This one felt really heavy on my chest. For so long, she was the only woman's architect that I knew. I had goals of like meeting her someday or even hearing her speak at a lecture in person. So one of the projects that she had worked on right before she passed was the condominium tower in downtown Miami. It was still under construction when she passed. When she passed, they had hung a banner with her photo saying RIP and with a date. So like whenever I would drive by it, I would just get really sad about it.
2: That is sad. But imagine how important she was for them to do that. Amazing.
1: Yeah. So was there anything that we've learned about today that surprised you guys? I was
2: surprised that she had so many firsts, given how contemporary she is.
1: Yeah.
0: Agreed. Yeah. We keep talking about how surprising it is that a lot of these women of firsts from the 20th century were still alive at some point during our life. But now the fact that a really famous contemporary woman architect was still breaking barriers and being the first at things is
1: really bizarre. Yeah. For me, when I think about her upbringing, her education and her professors, I can slowly make the connections of how these elements influenced her design. But I wanted to read a quote from her about her future as an architect. I started out trying to create buildings that would sparkle like isolated jewels. Now I want them to connect, to form a new kind of landscape, to flow together with contemporary cities and the lives of their people.
2: Hmm. I get the desire to create isolated jewels, but I agree architecture is so much more meaningful when it's in conversation with its context and maybe begins a new conversation, but still as a part of the whole and
0: flows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. I think there are times where standalone standout buildings are interesting, maybe because they disrupt the surrounding style or the fabric of a city. But I also think that when they relate to the surroundings in some way, it definitely grounds a project and makes it feel like it couldn't have just been dropped anywhere. And I think Zaha did a good job of doing both of those things.
1: Agreed. Yeah. Zaha was known for a lot of things. Some would call her a diva. I mentioned earlier that she was known as the Lady of Curves, but I think all would call her designs fearless. One of my favorite quotes from her is when she talks about her unique style. She says, I can be my own worst enemy. As a woman, I'm expected to want everything to be nice and to be nice myself. It's a very English thing. I don't design nice buildings. I don't like them. I like the architecture to have some raw, vital, earthy quality.
2: That's interesting. I can see her buildings in a way, don't ask permission. They're not afraid of anything. They're brave to be exactly who Zaha thinks they should be. How she interprets mm-hmm. the needs of the client and projects in a fearless way. I think you see that when you look at her designs. Yeah,
1: I agree. And what I also remember about Zaha was that, yeah, she was the only woman star architect that I remember seeing. But I also think about what she said about her fame as a woman architect too. another quote is when she says when women break off to have babies, it's hard for them to reconnect to the big scale as when women do succeed, the press and even the industry press spend far too much time talking about how we dress, what shoes we are wearing and who we are meant to be seeing dating. That quote's a
2: little confusing to me. They're like two separate conversations in there. I'm going to react to the second half. I like how she was holding up a mirror and saying, look at these questions you throw at me. Why?
0: How does that add to the work I produce? Would you ask a man the same questions? Yeah, I think the wording of the quote is a little bit confusing, but I think what she's trying to say is that if women leave to have families, it can be hard for them to garner the same amount of success when they get back in the profession. And if a woman does have great success, then they just pay attention to things related to their gender specifically.
2: So it's kind of like damned if they do, damned if they don't.
0: Yeah, kind of. Yep. I mean, that's kind so. of how I'm reading it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it kind of reminds me of Concepcion We talked about a few weeks ago and how all the articles that were written about her, they were praising her, but they couldn't stop focusing on her gender and like things specific to the fact that it was crazy that she was doing this as a woman.
1: Yep, for sure. Well, now it's time for the second half of our episode, the karyotid. Nojiti, can you remind the people who and what a karyotid is?
2: Sure thing, chicken wing. <laughs> a caryatid is a stone carving of a woman used as a column or a pillar to support the structure of a Greek or Greek-style building. Each episode, we'll choose a caryatid, a woman who is working today, furthering the profession through their work, and who ties into the historical woman of our episode.
1: So our caryatid for this week's episode is... <laughs> <laughs> Surprise! Our curated is actually two ladies, Yvonne Farrell and Shelley McNamara. <gasps> Yay! Yay! Yvonne oh. and Shelley. Oh. <laughs>
2: <laughs> A she belts podcast first.
1: <laughs> yep. Together, the Irish duo Yvonne and Shelley established Grafton Architects in 1978, along with three other partners. Although. Only Farrell and McNamara stayed on. Prior to that, Shelley and Yvonne, they've taught at University College Dublin. They even worked at the Harvard GSD. And in 2011, they were the Louis Kahn chair at Yale University. They have been visiting professors in Switzerland and lecturers internationally. But the reason why I chose them as the carry for this week's episode is because Shelley and Yvonne are the 2020 Pritzker Prize winner making them the first women duo.
2: (gasps) Wow. Nice. Mm -hmm. I learned about them this year after they were announced as the winners of the Pritzker Prize, and they had this quote, architecture is not just something off in the distance. It's the cradle of our lives. And that really stuck with me, just how we live in architecture and we're in it our entire lives and how important that is. Yeah,
1: that's really nice. Mm -hmm. I I like that. Me too. And I mean, that's why architecture rules. Duh. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yala. Before we sign off, we want to say shukran to CMIK for the music, John W., our technical producer, a special shukran to Jamila and Rima for the translation, and a super duper extra special special shukran to our original Arabic teacher, Manita. And most of all, shukran for listening. We hope you enjoyed learning more about Zaha, Shelley and Yvonne, along with our banter and that you're inspired to find out more about them and our other amazing professional ladies. Again, shukran.
0: Please let us know what you thought of our episode. If you've enjoyed it, please help us spread the word. Tell your friends, tell your neighbors, your coworkers. Give us five stars on iTunes. Write us a review. This will all help us reach a wider audience and for more people to learn about these amazing ladies with us.
2: We're excited to hear from you and for you to come back and keep learning about women bosses with us. You can email us your thoughts at SheBuildsPodcast at gmail.com, leave a comment on our website at SheBuildsPodcast.com, or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at SheBuildsPodcast and on Twitter at SheBuildsPod. Until then,
1: Wadeyan. na Harook. Masalama. I mean, all vaginas look different.
2: Okay, fine. Well, so even, maybe your
1: vagina... Oh, that's Yeah, not maybe it. mine looks different. <laughs> <laughs> I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of
0: telling people like, oh, yeah, we're doing this. I'm looking for projects.